Today, we're going to talk about generosity. Now, this is a huge, huge topic. Um, and we could preach all year on this, but we're not going to. Uh, I just have one Sunday, so I'm just going to scratch the surface. And to do that, uh, I picked a parable, which on the surface may not necessarily be one that would jump out at you as being about generosity, but we'll see where it goes. Um, now, it's a very familiar story. You've all heard it before. You've heard it in Sunday school, no doubt, for those of you who started church in Sunday school. Um, and so perhaps you, you can read along with me, or perhaps just close your eyes and listen to it. And imagine that you are there with Jesus as he's telling the story. Okay? So, 2,000 years ago, he's talking to his disciples. There's a usual crowd of hangers-on, all hanging around um, listening. Some are just regular people, fishermen, uh, what have you. Uh, some of the, uh, them are the leaders of society, the priests, the Pharisees, uh, the temple elite, the high society people. And these guys, of course, are looking to take him down. Uh, so he's got this whole group of people around him. So let's, let's uh, look at our reading. Um, we've got it up there, I'll read along. Okay, it's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? Sounds a bit like last week when Brandon was talking about the rich hand ruler, isn't it? It seems to be a theme with Jesus. Okay, Jesus responded, you must love, uh, sorry, the lawyer responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you shall live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, and so he said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, <coughs> A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbour to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy to them. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Alright. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. Um, now, the first thing I always ask myself when I look at a passage like this is who is Jesus talking to? So this legal expert we're talking about. Uh, so this would have been someone very well versed in scripture and in the law. And would have been very wealthy. He would have been used to people looking up to him and his place in society. Um, 
And he's also part of the group that's looking to try and find a way to take this Jesus out of the picture because he's preaching obnoxious stuff to them. Okay? Um, right, so he decides to throw Jesus a curveball and he's hoping to catch him out. And he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Now Jesus being Jesus, he answers the question with a question. This gives a legal expert a chance to show off a little bit. Now the interesting thing here is what commandment was the legal expert most concerned about? It wasn't about loving God, it was about loving his neighbour. And isn't that strange? We often don't tend to justify ourselves how we relate to God, but we do justify ourselves how we relate to others, to other people. Now Jesus, again, being Jesus, he wants to expose the heart of the matter and the heart of the question. Okay? So instead of giving a clever answer, he tells a story. Now this story would have meant a lot more to those people listening then, what we call the first hearers, than it would to us. Okay? And the reason is that there's a whole lot of cultural context which makes sense. So I think the first thing that helps here is let's look at the geography. So, Kelvin, uh, we have my map. There we go. Hopefully, you guys can see it. If you can't see it up there, it's on your phones, okay? First thing to look at is the top part of the screen, the area that's got Galilee written on it, around the Sea of Galilee, okay? That's where Jesus grew up. You can see Nazareth up there. This is the map at the time of Jesus, okay? Uh, now, coming down, you'll see the area I've actually highlighted there that says Samaria. Um, and coming down further, you've got Judea. Jerusalem down, also highlighted Jericho. Now, um, so you've got and so Galilee um, and Samaria and Judea. Now Jerusalem here. Yeah. Jerusalem is on the top of a mountain. It's 3,300 feet above sea level. Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. And there's only 15 miles between the two cities. Okay, it's a very steep, long road going down. Now, this road, and it's kind of like, to give you a context of what it would be like, those of you who, who've been up to Stevens Pass, and you come back down this way, coming down to about Skykomish, it's about 15 miles, and it's about the same altitude drop, okay? So that kind of gives you, you imagine doing that on foot, not in your four-wheel drive going skiing, okay? All right, now this road was notoriously dangerous for bandits, um, and so it would not have been surprising for Jesus' listeners that the man was robbed and beaten on that road. Okay, they would have gone, okay, it's bad luck, but not unexpected. Okay, the next two characters we have in the story is a priest. So he comes along, he takes a look, crosses the road, and carries on. Okay, uh, um, and the Levite comes along, does the same thing. Comes along, takes a look, too bad him, and goes along. Now, a priest is someone whose duties are um, around holiness in the temple, so things like um, uh, you know, sort of more ritual things. A Levite is more functional, so he's kind of like, a, like what we would call a deacon. Now, why do we think the, these guys ignored the victim? Um, some people speculate it was because they had temple duties, and if they had helped this guy, they would have been ritually unclean and they wouldn't have been able to, um, to do their duties. Um, that's less likely because they were going away from the temple, so they probably finished their job. More likely, they would have seen this man as beneath them, both from a society point of view. Uh, also, it's not their job to, to help these people. Um, you know, hey, I called 911, ambul the ambulance is coming, I'm going on my way. That's the, um, 
That's probably, I think, that's how I, I picture these guys doing it. You know, I'm a, I'm a special person, I'm, I'm in my suit. Uh, yeah, that's, that's messy work, that's not me. Okay, now we get to Samaritan. Okay. The Samaritans um, were a group of Israelites, so they're descended from um, uh, Abraham, just like the, the Jews were. Um, they split from the rest of the nation around uh, the, the big split happened around the time of um, the exile to Babylon. So, whereas most of Israel went to Babylon um, in about 700 BC, uh, Samaritans, a lot of them were left behind. They had different beliefs about the way to worship um, and uh, about how to worship God, etc. And so, by the time of Jesus, these feelings of differentness, they both worshiped the same God, but had grown to the point of. Um, uh, we would probably say hatred. They weren't at war with each other, but there was a lot of ill feeling. Um, uh, and so, you know, when we read in the um, Gospels about Jesus travelling through Samaria, the Galilee, the Jews probably going through Samaria all the time. Uh, they weren't particularly friendly. They're probably not, not offering each other a lot of help. But you know, this free passage. Why do we think Jesus made the good guy a Samaritan? And more importantly, how do you think Jesus' audience would have reacted when Jesus said a Samaritan rescued this guy? I think he's making the point that the person stopping to help the victim is, the, is normally the least likely person to do so. Um, I, uh, I was trying to think of an equivalent. Um, the closest I could probably think of without getting into modern-day politics in America um, would be like a Protestant stopping to help a Catholic in Northern Ireland in the 1970s. So that's a different thing. A lot of you young people, we're the teenagers, wherever they are. They have no idea what I'm talking about, but certainly a lot of people. So very, very strong. Um, so it's just like, this is not the person who would normally stop and help. Now, um, let's look at where Samaria is on the map. It's sort of in that middle, sort of on the left of that. Now, running from Jerusalem, sort of more or less up through to the Sea of Galilee, it's a ridge of mountains. And on one side, on the left-hand side, it runs down to the plain, down to the sea. On the other side, it drops down into the Jordan Valley. So between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea at the bottom here is uh, the Jordan River. And that's what we call the Trans-Jordan Valley. Now, the normal road, if you're a Samaritan going to Jerusalem, you come along the top of the mountain ridges, along those roads. It's a nice, short, very straightforward road. Our Samaritan is going the long way around. So he's been down to the valley, he's all the way down the Jordan Valley, and he's coming up the road from Jericho. Um, there's speculation he's a travelling merchant, which is why he's got a donkey and the others didn't. Uh, the point is, he's a long way from home. He's not on the road that a Samaritan would normally be on. Okay. His compassion was far more important than his business. Um, and so we should, at this point, consider what did it cost the Samaritan to stop and help this man? Um, well, time. Um, he had to stop and help money. At least two days later, so not more. Uh, goods. Um, he got the oil and wine to patch this, this guy up. Uh, having to walk instead of riding his donkey. Uh, getting dirty, dealing with an injured man and having to, you know, I don't think they probably had hot running water with um, uh, the fancy alcohol wipes and things like that back then. Um, delayed to his journey. Um, increased risk of becoming a target himself. Now that he's carrying this injured guy. 
uh, disruption to his travel plans because he, he says he's going to have to come back and pay the innkeeper extra. Well, he's already a long way out of his way. He probably doesn't want to have to go back the long way back to home, but he's saying he'll do that just to make sure this guy's all right. Okay, so when you think about it, the cost is much more than we think of as someone stopping to give a hitchhiker a ride home. Okay, it's much, much more than that. Okay, now Jesus asked the lawyer, who's the beaten man's neighbour? How do you think the lawyer felt about Jesus' question? Particularly as the lawyer is in the same social class as the two guys who walked on past. Okay. In my mind, I can imagine him being very reluctant when he says to Jesus, the guy who had compassion on this guy. Um, right, next thing. Who would we identify most in this, with in this story? a bit of a tough question because um, I think we often identify as different people. Perhaps we identify as a lawyer who asked the original question. Um, you know, who do I really care about? Um, uh, um, you know, what, what, what makes it, um, uh, you know, who, who do I have to care about? Who is my neighbour? So I care about the people I love, I care about my wife, I care about my kids. Uh, my extended family, I care about my mother-in-law because she's very kind to me <laughs> and she's here today. Um, <laughs> um, uh, what about my friends? Yeah, I care about that. Uh, how far out should I go? Should I care about my neighbours? Maybe the neighbours on my street, maybe the neighbours next door. You know, at what point um, do, I, do I have to stop caring? Um, what about the victim? Do we identify with the victim being beaten badly by robbers and left for dead in the gutter? I know sometimes in life I've felt it that way. Um, do we at times feel like we're the priest and the Levite? Um, are we more concerned about what's right and proper, you know, doing the right thing in terms of studying the right books of the Bible and you know, doctrine, etc.? Um, and maybe also more concerned about my time, my stuff, my world, and not particularly concerned about other people. And not particularly filled with Jesus' compassion for the broken and the dying. Uh, what about the Samaritan? Do we identify with the Samaritan? Um, maybe you've represented Christ's compassion to someone this week. And if you do, that's excellent. That's great. And the Bible says God is watching and he's very, very pleased. In fact, he goes on to say that when you do something for someone like that who needs it, it's as if you're doing it for him. And the Bible says in several places, God records this. So, yeah, if you're, if you're identifying with the Samaritan, that's great, that's wonderful. It could be very easy to turn this message into a burdensome demand. You know, go have compassion on people, be a good Christian, go care for the sick, the hungry, the, the, the victims. I don't think Jesus is requiring this to be, is meaning this to be a heavy thing. Um, he wants us to give because we want to. <coughs> not because we have to. Now here's the problem. You can't give what you haven't got. It says love your neighbour as yourself. Well, the first step of that is do you love yourself? Do you have compassion for you? Um, Or are you filled with self-doubt, self-contempt, self-hatred? Very hard to be compassionate to other people if we're not feeling okay about ourselves. So how do we have compassion? Um, I think we can only have compassion if we've received compassion. 
you know, and not just received it, but embraced it and experienced it. Um, we receive compassion when we're in need of being loved. And we don't deserve it, but we receive it anyway. You know, it starts when we're little kids. And we're little kids and we do when we start and we run around and we listen to mum and dad, but they still love us. They still, you know, they feed us, they pick us up, they give us hugs. And as adults, um, you know, we sin. And God says, I love you anyway. Um, you know, his compassion to us, his love for us, is so much that he gave his son to die for us. And then in our beating, bloody, sinful state, he chose to love us in spite of our stuff, not because of our good works. So when we've experienced his love in a place like this, it's really easy to have compassion for others. So let me tell you a story, out of my own story, um, about how this came about. So I'm in my early 30s, just yesterday, no, not true, about 15 years ago, uh, and I was working um, on a very high-profile project with a colleague, um, with a company I was working for, he was more senior than me, and uh, he was very critical, very judgmental guy. And uh, every day I'd be going home feeling like I was a failure. And I was, I was so wound up and so anxious that almost the point of paralysis, I couldn't really function well. I'd come home and my poor family were bearing the brunt of it. And, uh, and this was going on for weeks. And finally, um, I came home one day and I said, I've got to get to the bottom of this. I can't keep functioning like this. Um, and, all, and all I felt with, you know, with my colleague was like, this guy, he's on my case, he's critical. If there was a way for me not to work with him, that would be awesome. But that wasn't possible. So I sat down one Sunday afternoon, and this took about three hours. I'm going to tell it very quickly, but you've got to imagine it took a long time because it was quite hard. And I sat down in my recliner and I said, God, why am I feeling like this? What's going on? And I just sort of kept asking myself questions. Why, is I, why am I so stressed? Well, because this guy will give me a bad report. Why is that a problem? Because my bosses will think I'm doing a bad thing. Why is that a problem? Because uh, I could get fired. Why is that a problem? Now, I've just said it like that. It took about 30 seconds. That probably took me an hour to get to that point of actually feeling my way through it. Why is that a problem to, to get fired? Um, not that it was going to get fired, but it had that feeling to it. And for the next half hour, I just let that soak on me of why had that stirred up feeling. And then it was like a shout in my ear, we're going to lose everything. It's like, whoa, where does that come from? And it took me back to me. I, I took myself back time when I was 10 years old. My parents are dairy farmers and they had a herd of dairy cows and there was a disease at the time in New Zealand called brucellosis. And if more than a proportion of the herd got this disease, the whole herd had to be slaughtered. The government gave you some compensation but not a lot. And their dairy herd had got this and they had to get the herd slaughtered. And it was my mum talking to my dad and a little bit upset saying we're going to lose everything. But as a 10 year old I internalised that of this deep dread. And I was like, wow. What's going on here? Okay, God, what do you got to tell me in this space? And over the next little while, we, we kind of tossed a few things backwards and forwards. And finally, he said to me, he said, whose is it to lose? And at this point, I was like, I'm not playing games, God, you tell me. <laughs> and he said, it's mine if you let it be. So he threw the challenge back at me. And I was able to go, okay, God, yeah, everything I have is yours. I choose if so let it be yours, and it was just like, okay, now God's in charge of this. Everything just went. Okay, so that was Sunday afternoon. Monday morning, I go into work, 
and this guy, my colleague, has had a bad weekend, and he is just off his trip. He's just going for it. And I'm sitting there going, nothing's going on, I'm calm, what's going on? There's part of me out here going, you should be really stressed at this point. And I'm not, I'm like, what's going on? And the more he's going off, and then I'm starting to go, this guy had a really bad weekend. Actually, this guy, he's really anxious. He seems to be very concerned himself about where his life's at. And then I'm realizing, I have compassion for this guy. I'm trying to understand where he's at. Actually, got to the point, I was the only guy at my work who could work with this guy after this point. I was able to work with him because I had compassion for him. The only way I was able to have compassion was if God had shown me compassion in my stirred up stuff. Okay? Um, so that's probably a little bit of an extreme example, but um, I, I thought that would be useful for us. Okay, you've got some compassion. Pray for more. You always want more compassion. That's good. Um, the other question is what have you got that you can be compassionate and generous with? We often think of money, okay, that's important, but it's only a small part of being generous. What else do you have? A donkey, some oil and wine, some skills in patching up someone who's been beaten up by robbers. What have you got an abundance of that somebody else needs? Okay, a listening ear. Um, time to visit someone who's lonely or sick or grieving. Um, a meal. Prayers. Uh, my last church in New Zealand, there was a little corner back where we had our couches there, what I used to call the old ducks corner, which was where all the old ladies used to sit. And they would sit there and if I was there, they'd sort of smile, sweet evening and stuff. But they anchored the church in intercession and prayer. And, you know, they were kind of like, they said to me, well, we don't feel like we're particularly useful, you know, we go and we make the tea after for people to have cups of tea after church. And I'm like, what do you guys do? I'm like, well, and they pray, and they pray. And so whenever someone was sick and someone got on the prayer chain, these guys prayed. That's what they had to offer. They had time and they had wisdom. And so they had prayers to offer. Um, what else have we got to offer? Maybe for some of the older people, wisdom that comes in old age from a lifetime of hard knocks. You know, something to share with younger people who are going through family difficulties or work difficulties, relationship stuff. Uh, what about for some of you young guys? I'm looking at these two here. Um, strength and energy to do chores for someone who's too frail to do it for themselves. So, can you be generous with your abundance? So God doesn't want to coerce you into generosity. He leaves it entirely up to you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. Uh, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Okay. And if we were to go back a chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says generosity shouldn't be a burden. So, uh, let me read that. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Okay? Uh, and then he goes on to say, it doesn't mean that, uh, that it should be relief for other and pressure on you. It's about balance. So that what you have now is relieving somebody else, what they have in the future is relieving for you. So there we have it. Um, be compassionate, be generous, with a smile on your face, and a smile on your heart. And finally, if you're feeling like the guy beat up in the gutter, 
um, share it with a trusted friend. Uh, let Brendan know if you can get past all care sorted out. Uh, pray with you. And if it's something like the story that I was sharing about me, he can pray with you as you try and find God to speak compassion into that space as well. So don't sit there and suffer alone. Okay. All right.